So this morning we're in chapter uh, 8 of Acts. By the way, if you're visiting, welcome this morning. We're glad to see you. Uh, We have some family visiting. Um, Joel and Marlene have some friends from Michigan that are sitting in the back row. Welcome to you guys. Uh, Tricia and my daughter Anna showed up this morning and almost gave me a heart attack. (laughs) I was on the outside of the windows looking in and she came up to the window And I wasn't sure, am I looking at a reflection? Is there a video playing somewhere? What am I looking at? And I just had to realize, oh, Anna's just here. (laughs) So welcome to Anna. It's good to have you. And the rest of you, too, if you're visiting, it's awesome. It's awesome to be in the presence of God with you today. So thank you. Yeah, and and this is the week for thanks, right? And I love that because we're followers of Jesus, it's not an empty tradition. And we can ask that silly question, what are you thankful for? but actually respond um, with genuineness, with true things that we're thankful for. So today I'm thankful for the scriptures, and let's take a a few minutes to look at Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 1. This is a huge transition in the passage today from where we've been. We've spent the last seven chapters of Acts, which has taken us a couple of months, and all we've talked about so far and all we've learned about so far is Jerusalem. Everything that we've been studying happened in Jerusalem. And you remember that Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit comes, you will have power and confidence and boldness to be my witnesses. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And then Judea and Samaria, which was kind of the next ring, the geographical ring around Jerusalem. And then then he just blows it open to the ends of the earth. So today in the passage we're in, there's this clear transition From Jerusalem to that next ring to Judea and Samaria. So let's take a look at it. On that day, and this is amazing because in a single day, this huge transition happens. And the reason it happens is what uh, Derek led us in last week. Do you remember what happened in that passage in chapter 7? There was this like pinnacle of spiritual warfare where um, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, is laying it down one more time, the same way Peter did, in the presence of all of the Jewish leaders to say, you killed the Messiah. And there was this rush of these two forces, the Holy Spirit filling up Stephen, but also the spirit of um, hostility toward God and the spirit of jealousy. And these other forces rose up inside the Jewish leaders, and they just couldn't stand it. And it says literally, they gnashed their teeth, and they were like, ah! And just all this anger came out of them, and they couldn't be subtle about it anymore. They couldn't hide it anymore. They couldn't be political about it anymore. It just came out in all of its honesty. And so you have this full-blown spiritual warfare that took root in Jerusalem. And here's what happened next. It says, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered. How many believers were in Jerusalem at this time? Thousands. We've heard three times, and thousands were added to their number. So we could be talking five or 10,000 people. All were scattered except 12, the apostles, throughout Judea and Samaria. This is where the work of the enemy plays into the hands of God. So it was actually persecution that drove the Christians to leave Jerusalem. But isn't that what Jesus predicted would happen? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria. So even though Satan is working out what he thinks is his will, God is working out his will at the same time, right? 
So amazing. So good. Godly men buried Stephen, and they mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. So this isn't just public confrontation. To this point, all of the confrontation between the church and the Jewish leaders has been public. But Paul is doing, Saul is doing something very different here. It says he goes from house to house. So all the other conflicts had been in the temple, but he's taking it a step further and saying, I'm not just going to meet you in the public places, but I'm going to go to your small groups, and I'm going to go into the homes where you're meeting for supper, and I'm going to arrest you. And he says something else unique. He says men and women. To this point, it's just been a conflict between men, between leadership, but now he's dragging off everyone, men and women, and saying, I am going to destroy this thing. I'm not going to put up with it any longer. Pretty intense spiritual warfare. So here's what's happening outside of Jerusalem. Verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went, just as Jesus predicted. Philip, now this could be either Philip the apostle or Philip the deacon. Anybody have a clue which Philip it is? The deacon. Yeah, how do you know that? <laughs> You're right. If you've been reading ahead, which I know you have, there's actually clarification. It will say, it says Philip, one of the seven, and Philip, the apostle, was one of the 12. So everything's identified by numbers. Yeah. You're Colossae Sherwood, the 120. We'll just call ourselves, hey, yeah, I'm a part of the 120. So here's what happened with Philip. Philip went down to a city in Samaria, and he proclaimed the Messiah there. That's always the, necessi- the, the message is Messiah. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs that he performed. Now, that's interesting because to this point, we've only seen apostles, the 12, perform signs and wonders, Right? All the believers were together, but it says the apostles. So now the deacons are performing signs and wonders as well. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. I love that line. I don't think we've ever heard that before. It said Jesus went from village to village, uh, casting out demons and healing the lame and the sick. But nobody added that editorial comment, and the city was full of joy. But you know that had to be happening, right? I mean, if you have family and friends and children who have been possessed by demons their whole life and you've you've tried to keep a child from not burning in the fire or drowning in the water because of this demon, so the day when that all ends, I mean, what happens, right? Just joy, joy. Ah, Jesus is so good. And now notice this is Philip. This is a second-generation apostle or leader after the apostles. And so the idea is that Jesus says, you will do what I did and even greater things. And somehow, we're so many generations past, I feel like we've given up hope for this level of power and this level of a demonstration. Uh, And yet, don't you want that in your hearts? You know, don't you want that? And Yeah, I think we can pray toward that. And we could ask God, how do we um, receive the fullness of the Spirit the way you gave the fullness of the Spirit in the beginning? Do you want to cast out demons? Do you want to heal People who haven't been healed again. And I hope we're praying to that end. So now we have another piece of the story that uh, you remember the power struggle in Jerusalem was between Judaism and Christianity. So Judaism had had become a religion of legalism and it was under the control of humans. 
who had kind of been taken over by arrogance and pride. And they had, they had reduced God's way down to one issue, the issue of authority. Authority was a medium that God gave to his people to lead them to God. So God established authorities in the Judaic system as a means to lead people. So there were Levites, there were priests, there were scribes. These were leaders that were meant to lead people to God. But these men got caught up in that medium of authority and they lost the destination. They saw, oh, this authority thing is pretty cool and I love it and I want to hang on to it. But they completely lost the destination. So something that was meant to draw people to God didn't draw them to him anymore. There was this attraction of authority and these men took full advantage of it. So let's move on and see what happens in Samaria. Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and, he, and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. You guys are familiar with the story, so I won't read the whole thing, but here's what was happening. In Samaria, they were not under the Judaic customs and laws. And so they didn't struggle in the spiritual battle that they did in Jerusalem. But what the Samaritans were under was just looking for evidence of spiritual power And when they saw it in a human, they were attracted to it. This man was able to do some miraculous things, and they thought that was pretty cool. And so they called this man the great power of God, and they connected him with God. Philip comes actually full of the Holy Spirit and actually doing the will of God, and there's kind of this comparison that is made. And because God is the true God, the demonstrations through Philip are unbelievable, And they're so much greater than the demonstrations through Simon. And so they all transfer their attention to Philip and say, we saw in Simon a little God, and that was fun and entertaining and kind of amazing, and maybe some good things happened. But now we see in Philip something truly amazing and good. Our loved ones are being healed, and our children are being uh, saved from demons. This is so much more important. So even Simon believed, and Simon was baptized. But in the rest of their story, there's two things that I want you to think about because they really apply to us today. Two things happened. Number one, Simon was baptized and believed, but he saw that when the apostles came, John and Peter came down from Jerusalem and they met with these disciples and they prayed for them to receive the Holy Spirit and evidence of the Holy Spirit was there. And when Simon saw this, he had an appetite for spiritual power. He had an appetite for the medium of spiritual power. And when he saw that those guys had a power that he didn't have, he wanted it and offered to buy it. This was just his understanding of how things work. I can buy that power. And so here we see humans caught up in a different kind of medium. All of this to say, this is just kind of how we are as broken humans. God creates things that are pathways to him. And in the beginning, we usually use them well, and we operate well, and they are pathways. But our tendency as humans is to get caught up in the medium, in the pathway, and and almost think it's the destination. 
and say like, wow, I really enjoy this pathway. So in Judaism, the leaders really enjoyed the authority that they had. They loved how people listened to them. They loved how they could tell people what they could do and what they couldn't do. And the authority that was meant to be a gift to lead people to Yahweh became a private possession. And then in Samaria, it was a different scenario. It was a different culture. So what was given to them was the, spirit of the, the power of the Holy Spirit to lead people to Jesus, the Messiah. Simon saw it as, hey, I want the medium. I want the power. I don't necessarily want Jesus. I'm more attracted to this. And, and where this lands for us today is in this idea that is, do we get caught up in any mediums ourselves? Because we don't want to do that. Have we gotten caught up or can we get caught up in a medium that is meant to lead us to Jesus, but we're actually having more pleasure in the medium? And that could look a lot of different ways. I mean, that could be people. There could be people in our lives that God has given us to lead to Jesus, to disciple, but we get so caught up in those people that they become the end, and they become what we worship, and they become what we desire in and of themselves. I think in our culture, we have so many amazing experiences of musical worship that that can really happen, where this medium of song and instrumentation and unity and harmony and the beauty of music can become in itself an end, where I'm actually going after the music. And I'm sure you've been a part of worship services that are like this. And I think in every worship, there's some level of both going on. But I've been to some that I feel like, oh, gosh, this just feels like we're kind of worshiping the music. You know, you just kind of can sense that. And, and that's one in our culture that we need to be careful of. When are we worshiping the medium? And when is the medium the end of my desire and not Jesus? And I would say one way to tell is when that's over, what's going on in your heart? Are you thinking, wow, that song was amazing? Or wow, that leader I really love? Or, or are you saying, Jesus, I love you so much. Thank you for the truth of this song. And I think, too, another th- way that we can tell that we're missing the mark and focusing on the medium is when we critique the medium. And we start comparing, you know, did I like that song or that music? In this case, did I like that sorcerer? Or is there another sorcerer that I want to go watch? And so, you know, in order to stay pure-hearted and always seeking Jesus... Today, I just want you to think through, is there a medium that I've latched onto? It could even be a small group. Maybe we want a small group experience to be a certain way. And if we're critiquing the small group experience, that might be a sign that we're actually not using the medium to get close to Jesus, but we're wanting the medium to be what it needs to be for us. And that's the warning today. I want to give the rest of my time, which is about 15 minutes this morning, to someone else. So in this passage, um, Philip is sent out as a missionary, and we have the first idea of humans being sent out to share the gospel. In the late 1800s in America, there began to be a tremendous move of the church in America sending people out. And that movement has gone on now for 130 or 140 years, and so we have what we call missionaries, overseas missionaries. And I want you to know that we have some tremendous missionaries right here at Colossae Sherwood, overseas missionaries. And you may not know this, 
So I want to give them about 15 minutes this morning to share with you their story, how God has worked through them. So Matt and Corinne, would you come up? And one of, the, one of the things I hope that we find out through Matt and Corinne's story this morning is that there's some pretty incredible people at Colossae Sherwood. And all of you have some pretty amazing stories. And if we could, it'd be great to give a Sunday each week to another family. And just to know, what's your story? How has God worked in your life? And, and who are you and how is he using you? We won't be able to do that, but I hope their story today is an example for what we might pursue in other ways. So you have the floor. All right. Thanks, I Rick. should say, I've known this guy for 20 years, so we're good friends, and then when he chose to marry her, we were right there as a part of that, and so we've known each other. Matt was in the youth group that Trisha and I led. Matt's parents are here, you guys may not know, Scott and Nancy Wave, yeah? Those are his parents. These guys are connected. Matt's sister is sitting in the back row there, and she actually married my son, so he's back there. <laughs> Bottom line, this is, there's deep connections here, <laughs> family and friends. We, so. we call ourselves Rick and Trisha's in-law in-laws. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, and uh, in fact, we've been chasing Rick around in churches for those 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward. Yeah, <laughs> and um, not too long ago when we were on mission in Myanmar, uh, Rick was with a small team um, who came to visit us during the historic... First democratic elections in Myanmar, Burma, in over 50 years. And he got to be there for that. So um, we have a lot of history, I guess, together. Um, we want to thank you for just kind of being good listeners and um, opening up this space to us. This is the first time we've shared publicly in the last year that we've been living here in Oregon about our overseas mission experience. And it's really kind of good for our souls to report what God's been doing through us. So we appreciate you. Um, like Philip in Acts chapter 8, we followed the Holy Spirit out into mission. And our story began in college down the street at Linfield, where we met. And bonded over our Spanish-speaking experiences together. We were both studying Spanish and lived in Mexico for a little while. And long story short, we got married and then moved to China, right? Because when you speak one language, you go to a totally different country. Uh, but the Holy Spirit um, has ideas and plans that sometimes make no sense to us. But we go. We obey. So we went to China. And there we were teaching English to university students and basically, in a nutshell, sharing the gospel with uh, large groups of students. We would estimate we had probably uh, a thousand different Chinese students over the three years that we were there. And um, do you remember how Jesus kind of had crowds of people following him around? Uh, thousands of people, you know, the fish and the loaves and... <clears throat> Um, and yet not all of them embraced his message. Uh, that was kind of like our student population in China. Tons of students knew who we were. We spent time with them, but um, not everybody comes to Jesus. Um, and then, I guess, um, at a smaller level, Jesus had the 12, who he spent a lot of time with, and we had um, a, there was a group of Chinese university students who were Christian, unregistered church under the ground 
who we linked up with, and we mostly over time realized what they needed was theological training. You know, they were very passionate, very zealous, sharing on all the campuses, kind of where we were teaching. Um, but we were there, I guess, to, to fill in some gaps, you know, to help train in that way. And then um, in Jesus's circle, remember there were the three, Peter, James, and John, who were really close to him, the pillars uh, that Paul would refer to later in some of his writings. And we had uh, a very small nucleus of people, I guess, who were very close to us. We spent a ton of time with them, praying, mentoring, and one in particular, oh yeah, there's Corinne teaching. Those are the thousands. Yeah, a small, yeah, handful of the thousands. Go ahead, keep going, good. So we hosted events in our home. A couple of foreigners actually snuck into this picture. (laughs) Hi mom, hi dad. Um, This is one of the three. His name is John John, and we got to know him very well. He actually approached me when I was making photocopies in one of the academic buildings, and he said, are you a Christmas chin? Because <laughs> he couldn't remember the English word, right? <laughs> are you a Christmas chin? I, I said, I am a Christmas chin. <laughs> Let's t- get together and talk about it. And we did. And uh, we actually went out to the village and stayed with his family for a few days. That was that first picture. Here we are um, on campus. We be- have become close friends. And he is now studying at a seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, of all the places. And go ahead and go to the next one. And here he is pictured with Dr. John Piper. And the point I'm trying to make here is just that you never know where your influence is going to go. You know, I didn't do anything to orchestrate this. But here he is. Um, He was one of just a couple people who actually got to talk to Dr. Piper that day. And there's just so much favor on this guy's life. And he's planting churches in China, and he's, he just keeps going. And there's really nothing that, can, um, that we've seen that can tear him down. That was a lot. <clears throat> so fast forward, um, we come back to Oregon. We live here for about five years. We have a daughter. We work in jobs. We serve in the church. And uh, we feel the call of the Holy Spirit to go overseas again into Myanmar, uh, what also is called Burma. And this place is very different from China, even though it's so close. It even shares a border. Um, It's a third world developing country way outside of our comfort zone. But we went on a vision tour to go see what we'd be getting ourselves into, so we knew And uh, there was this hesitation in our hearts, but we really felt the Lord leading us, so we went. Um, And there was hardship. It was not easy, and Corinne is well-equipped to share about that. (laughs) Um, It it feels kind of impossible to try to put into words um, just all of the different environmental things that we experienced over there because they're so beyond the norm of what we are used to here in Oregon. Um, But, you know, just one example is just the oppressive, tropical, humid heat that is present. To us, it would feel like all day every year. They say that they have a winter season, but it's like 80s, 75 and 80s. So um, most of the time, the temperatures are... 90 or 95 and above with at least 80 to 80 percent, 85 percent humidity. So 
as soon as you step outside, you're just drenched in sweat, and you really feel that zapping you of your energy for the day. So you're just, you know, you at least for people that haven't grown up in that environment, it feels like you're just functioning at 60 or 70 percent of what you would normally be able to do if it were more of a, you know, moderate or temperate climate. Um, and that atmosphere is the perfect breeding ground for mosquitoes, and it's just a, it's an area where there are many disease-infested mosquitoes. Um, we had been in Myanmar for about three months when Matt um, contra- contracted dengue fever, and it turned out that just the day before was when we had learned that we were pregnant with our second daughter. So um, there's not a cure for dengue. You just each person kind of has to wait and see how how it's going to ride out in the body. And for some people, it can be fatal. So for him, it um, kind of knocked him out for a good solid like 10 days to two weeks where he was just really achy and sore in his bed. Um, and he would tell you that, you know, he, from uh, speaking with other people, that he actually had a relatively minor case of it. Um, so obviously he made it through. Thank, thank you, God. <laughs> um, so we, you know, we just... In regard to that, we became hypervigilant. We all slept with mosquito nets the whole time we were there. And after our second daughter, Noelle, was born, um, that sometimes that would be the worst thing for me as a mom, waking up in the morning to find that a mosquito had become trapped inside her crib mosquito net. So it had feasted on her. And then it was just, you know, waiting a few days to see if any symptoms would appear. Um, another hardship that was sort of over the period of three years was we just really struggled with finding a lack of community, you know, like we are blessed with here. There there were expats. We lived in the largest city in Myanmar, in Yangon. So it's a city of about five million. Um, but the infrastructure is really poor, so it takes a long time to get anywhere. Um, we were blessed with an international church that we would try to attend. Um, it was pretty far from where we lived, so it was usually like an hour taxi ride one way, but there were between 15 to 20 different countries represented there each Sunday. So it was just really, really rich in worship and teaching. Um, You know, it felt like a little, being a part of a little piece of what heaven's going to be like. Um, But because of how bad the infrastructure was and how spread out everyone was, it was just really challenging to even get together for a small group night. Um, But all that to say that um, the bottom line is we did go voluntarily. You know, um, we did have, like as Matt mentioned, we had some resistance in our spirits um, because we had truly weighed the cost. You know, we knew because of China and having visited Myanmar, we knew what we were getting ourselves into. Um, So we knew what the sacrifice would entail, and we did go with joy because we felt that calling on our lives. Um, and yet, as with many things in life, you know, there's there's things that you just don't know until you know, you know. Um, so it's like we we weighed the cost, we we chose that, and yet it was you know so much more on on the positive and the negative. All right, <clears throat> so. Go back in your mind just for a minute to Acts chapter 8, which Rick was just talking about. And remember, before um, 
what Derek preached about, right, the, 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 the disciples were kind of in Jerusalem, hesitant to go out, like we were hesitant to go out. Um, but then there was hardship, right, just like we experienced some hardship. And, um, and they were sort of forced out. And, and thankfully, in the scriptures, it says, but they preached the gospel wherever they went, right? Um, <clears throat> and then in this passage in particular, in Acts chapter 8, there's a sorcerer or a magician. And um, we can make a really strong comparison with Buddhism in Myanmar. Um, it's not like one person, you know, casting spells and, and performing tricks that astonish you. But um, Buddhism, pictured here, holds great power over the people of Myanmar. Um, it's not at all like this, the separation of church and state that we experience, where you kind of know in different contexts uh, when it's okay to share your faith, you know, when it would be acceptable and when it's not. Um, in Myanmar, it's the intertwining of Buddhist thought and practice with every other facet of life, you know. Uh, Buddhism controls almost everything, and it's one of the reasons that uh, the Muslims on the west side are being kind of forced out um, of the country because uh, Buddhism has a lot to do with that. Um, it holds great power over the people, and we experienced that. I mean, we lived on a street where we had a monk school right next to us, and they were chanting around the clock all the time you know, in Bali from India. And uh, we had a monastery and, and the monks. Uh, in fact, when my father was visiting our first year, um, he was taking note of how many monks are kind of walking along the streets collecting alms every day. And he said to my daughter, Evie, um, hey, look, Evie, there are monks. And she was like three at the time. And she said, those guys are everywhere. <laughs> And they are. They are everywhere. But, um, and this is the good news, there was fruit and joy, right? Um, <clears throat> go ahead and go to the next one. Thanks. These are my friends who lived uh, very close to us. And the next one, okay, right, I forgot to mention. I learned how to uh, speak and read and write in Burmese. This is something I wrote as a farewell to one of the churches that we were a part of. Um, and gosh, it makes it hard to leave <laughs> when you get so connected to the people. Um, but it was a good experience. I'm thankful that I had the opportunity to learn their language. Um, another part of the fruit was, um, yeah, we were part of restarting a grassroots Bible college. And this is their first graduating class, which I got to see last January. Um, when I was visiting, basically to sell all of our churn furniture and then return to Oregon. Uh, but I got to go and be a part of it, and here they are. And so we worked for Remember New, if anyone knows of that organization, uh, for three years in China, protecting children, yeah, Myanmar, protecting children from uh, trafficking. And uh, this is one of our children home up in the north of the country, a boy's home. And the next one is a home that we were able to start in the war-torn region of Shan State along the border of China. A lot of kids um, in need of, of help over there. Another kind of part of the fruit for us was training the local leaders, our friends, 
um, to take over in our place. So when we came back to Oregon a year ago, they were up and running and set to um, operate Remember New at the country level. And so there's, there's no need for foreigners to, to be there anymore. And I guess um, that's what you want, actually, is that they can do it all on their own. And then, uh, let's see, I think I have one more. Yeah, and so the kids, um, the Remember New kids that we serve are now going into nursing and engineering programs. Uh, One is in uh, medical school. Some of them are starting businesses. And like my friend who was visiting with John Piper, you just never know where it's going to go. You know, long after we're gone, um, the Holy Spirit will continue to complete the work in these kids, in these friends of ours um, that he began. So last summer, um, we made the difficult decision to return to Oregon. And there was just sort of this perfect storm of factors that we don't have time to get into this morning, but we are, more, you know, we're open books. We're happy to share um, in conversation later. Um, but it was still, so it was, it was apparent to both of us that it was the best thing for our family at the time. And yet it was still very difficult and painful because of the time that Matt had put into the language study and learning about the culture and history and just our ever deepening love for the people over there. So by far the best and most meaningful aspect of our time in Myanmar was connecting with the local people, whether it was at the children's homes where we served or in our neighborhoods where we lived or even with, um, you know, people in the marketplace down the street. Um, The fact that we were willing to bring our young family and even have a baby overseas really communicated volumes in terms of our love and commitment for the people there um, because it also gave them countless opportunities to care for us and to take care of us, um, just to reciprocate um, and to feel like they could relate to us, you know, just... And the universal experience of having family and raising kids and the dailiness of taking care of little ones and the tiredness that we feel. Um, So in hindsight, we moved. We've had a long time to reflect this last year. Um, We moved to Myanmar with a pretty strong case of an idealist complex. We, you know, were going there to save the day or help save the world in this little pocket Um, But over the days and months and years that we were there, God faithfully stripped away layer upon layer of pride and self-sufficiency so that we could eventually have eyes to see that he had taken us there just as much for our own good um, as for those that we had gone to minister to. And it sounds cliche, but isn't that how true ministry is really meant to be? That when we are operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, that transformation is taking place both directions, um, and that all lives are being changed. Yeah, and that's a common experience of short-term missions, isn't it? We go and we do something and we feel good about it, but we come back actually kind of changed people. And that's certainly true at the um, the midterm, long-term level, too, in missions. Like, we, I guess we've lived overseas for seven years total, and we just feel like uh, we'll never be the same, you know? And uh, we really appreciate being able to share with that with you this morning. It's kind of a piece of the pie, right? 
Um, and in the same way, if you were sharing with us about your lives for 15, you know, 20 minutes, it would only be a piece of the pie. But uh, we're here. We're here to stay. We're not going anywhere. And we look forward to the opportunity to get to know you better. So before Matt and Corinne take a seat and we move into worship, um, Matt and Corinne just can't stop taking care of people <laughs> and serving people. And so Corinne let me know this week that she has a co-worker who is going to spend uh, Thanksgiving in Chico with relatives. And so that, that co-worker feels compelled to ask people in Oregon who might be willing to, uh, to donate to some gift cards. And a part of what this person, her co-worker, I'm telling your story, okay. I don't need no, to, but no, <laughs> sorry. No, it's fine. And so, uh, so Corinne is here this morning also to be a recipient, to be our ambassador from Colossae Sherwood to support this effort of this particular person. And I just want to say, and I hope you see this, that Colossae Sherwood is about not creating programs and asking you to come make the program happen. We are about asking you, what is God doing in your life, and what has he called you to do? So when Corinne texts me and say, hey, I really feel like God has asked me to, to help my coworker and affirm what they're doing, can we as a church do that? Our answer as a church needs to be, yes, you can, because we are the family of God, and when God calls you to do something, we say yes. And when Jessica says, hey, I have a brother who's an amazing worship leader, can he come and lead worship with me? We say Yes. And we want to continue to be a church that empowers you in the ways that God leads you. We want to say to you as a church, yes, we'll get behind you as the Holy Spirit leads us. So what I'm trying to say is, Corinne would love, if you, if you feel moved on this point, to receive any kind of gift you want to give this morning to her. She'll translate the gift into gift cards, give it to her friend, and he'll head down to Chico and share that. And again, we're talking about paradise and the fires and the hundreds of homes that were lost. That's where this would go. So if you've been thinking, hey, what can I do to be involved? God is telling you, here's how we can be involved. So any other? That's good. So look for Corinne if you want to give to that. Thank you guys for sharing your story. Appreciate it. Andrew and Jess, come on up. And I just want to put the pieces together for you this morning. It's been kind of a potluck. Uh, I gave you a little insight from Acts, and then we heard a story, and now we're going to worship. Uh, we've had the opportunity to talk about the canned food drive and gift cards to Chico and Paradise. If I could tie that all together, I would tie it together this way. We have been praying that God would build his church at Colossae Sherwood, and that we wouldn't just be another nice church, a good church one that a few that a hundred people like to go to, but that God would build his church, that Jesus would make something out of this. And I struggle with this almost every week. I want to take responsibility for Colossae Sherwood, and I want to report to Chuck and say I'm doing a good job and more people are coming, and the sermons are getting better and things are getting better. And, and the Holy Spirit keeps saying, Rick, I am not giving you responsibility for Colossae Sherwood. I want that responsibility. And I am happily saying to God, awesome. Because <laughs> after, this is my third, fourth, fifth pastorate. And I, I'm so tired of trying to make it happen. Right? And that's on me. That's on me. But for the first time, I really feel like I've figured out what it is to let Jesus build a church. Right? 
And, I, and what I want you to get today is Jesus is building something amazing here. And so the call to all of us is, where do I participate? And when you think of Matt and Corinne, they did some pretty radical things because of the call of God. They moved away, and they put their family into a lot of harm's way. And they, they worked through some pretty tough stuff. But they believed so much in the gospel and that God has called us to witness to that gospel. And I want you to catch that same bug. And I, I just so much want all of us to say, I have some important things to do with my life, but the most important thing is this idea of being a witness for the gospel. And I can do, you don't have to move to Myanmar, good news. <laughs> you can live where you are. But we do have to pay attention. And, I, and we do have to say, I'm willing to sacrifice I'm not being asked to sacrifice as much as Matt and Corinne, but, I, but I, I'll accept sacrifice. And I will make space in my life for God to work. And I'll make margin in my life to be a witness and to speak where I could speak. And that's, that's the call to all of you today is I just want to invite you. Jesus wants to build a tremendously powerful church here at Colossae Sherwood. And he wants to fill all of its people with the Holy Spirit. And he wants all of its people to be a witness where they are, who they are. You don't have to change who you are, and you don't have to move unless God calls you. But God calls us to pay attention and to seriously engage as a witness. And that's the call today. And so as we worship, I I want you to move closer to that reality and to say, Jesus, you've set me free And you've given me a life that's so new, and I want to join in the party and the work of the gospel, and I want to do a little bit of sacrifice, and I want to do a little bit of giving the best of what I am. And and let's join in with Jesus, who's building an amazing church here at Colossae Sherwood. So let's worship him in spirit and truth. Let's thank him again for what he's done. Communion tables are at these two lights in the back. So during this first song... It's a good time to go as a family or with friends and remember Jesus and what he's done. And then let's move from there into celebrating what he's called us into.